Hello and welcome to Fragmenters, the most entertaining podcast that I've found where you get to have a conversation with business women who are enthusiastic about life, work, and money. We love building up other women and getting them ready for their new careers. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Hello and welcome back, my friends, to Fragmenters. I hope everybody is having a fantastic winter season, even though it is so freaking cold here. It is in single digits, and we don't usually get that until end of January. So thank you, everyone, for liking, subscribing, reviewing the podcast. It really helps get our voices out there so more badass bitches can hear us. And speaking of badass bitches, I have Angie Manson here. She is the owner of Elevate Addiction Services, as well as the host of Going Rogue with Angie Manson. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Not as cold here as there, but um, no. it's still cold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm Northern California, so we don't really have any snow, but boy, it can get down to like 30 in the mornings and at nights. It's it's kind of, it is cold. <laughs> oh my gosh. 30, yeah. I'd be in a t-shirt, girl. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but there's still ice. It's still like it frost, but yeah, no snow true. for us. So yes, I, I'm sure. I, I know I'm a big old baby. <laughs> so how did you get into Elevate Addiction Services and what all does that encompass? I grew up as a latchkey kid, meaning my mom uh, worked two jobs and we lived in uh, low-income housing and I was sort of independently responsible for myself at a very young age. And for me, that meant I had a lot of freedom to get myself into a lot of trouble at a very young age. And that's what I did. A, uh, by the time I was 16, I'd been arrested about seven times as a juvenile and I went, went to my first rehab. That did not fix me it gave me new people to party with and really realizing like oh there's a whole bunch of other worse stuff I could be doing so I continued on that and when I was 18 my mom kicked me out she said that's it my my work here is done go figure it out and I did not quit doing all the things that got me arrested and so by the time I was 21 I was facing 10 years in prison and it was pretty serious crime. But fortunately for me, the judge gave me an option to do a year in rehab plus probation, plus some restitution or the prison time. And although I was still in denial about me having a problem, I was in agreement that rehab was better than prison. And so that's what I did. I went to the rehab and I kind of never left. I've been here 28 years later. And due to me putting in my time and doing what I needed to do and learning the program and starting to work and starting to give back, seeing the judge every six months for three years, he ended up wiping my entire record away. The restitution that I owned, he took that away wow. and he gave me a clean slate on life. And uh, like I said, I that this is where I've been. This is what I do. I love helping people. It helped me find my passion and purpose. And it's sort of my obligation, in my opinion, to carry on this legacy of continuing to help people because of the chance that I was given. That is so amazing and good to hear. You hear so many times how judges or officers or whatever, they see someone who's battling addiction, either drug, alcohol, whatever, and they just write them off. They're like, this is a piece of shit. 
I'm over it, you know, harshest sentence, they can't be rehabilitated, just get them through the system. So that's amazing to hear that the system does work at times. Yeah, the interesting thing is, is in recent times, I tried to find that judge just to thank him and say, hey, look at look at what what happened because of the thing you gave me. They are not very quick to give out judges home addresses. So I was unable to (laughs) track him down. However, uh, what I did figure out is that he himself was a recovering alcoholic. So that's why he was pretty Mm -hmm. pro rehab. And also, and I was just lining up the timelines, I may have been one of the very first people that they actually tried drug diversion program on instead of prison in the Reno system. Because I did, I was, like I said, I was trying to find him and I started finding out all this fascinating information. And so it was like, no wonder I, I I was very fortunate to get placed in front of him in front of that courtroom. And it was like giving me a pardon. He even referenced that. He said to the prosecutor, they were trying to recommend another three years of probation because I hadn't been able to pay off the restitution. Mm-hmm. And he looked at the prosecutor and he says, you know, I so rarely get to experience successes in this courtroom. I don't know what else you could possibly want from her. She is like the shining beacon of the system working. So, and that's when they looked to me and relieved me of all this stuff because you're right. They've been burned so many times or they give up hope that it's Mm -hmm. difficult for them to find or want to help people. Did you say Reno, like Reno, Nevada? Yep. Oh my gosh. And you said it right. I'm very proud of you. Yes, Uh, Reno, Nevada. I grew up in Nevada. One of my brothers and sisters still lives there. I have another sister who lives in a tiny town near it. So that's so funny. Small world. (laughs) Absolutely. So then you probably, if you know any history in Nevada, the Judas Priest was tried there because some kids played their record backwards and they tried to hold them uh, responsible for putting subliminal messages that may have created that. Mm -hmm. But I was tried in the exact same courtroom as Rob Halford. So I was always like, I'm famous. Oh, that's too cool. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Go, go off on a little tangent. Little sidetrack. Well, yeah. you can see uh, that's also why it was very easy for me to start down that path at such a young age. Reno is a 24-hour town. Like oh, you could bad. easily blend in, melt in, just disappear into all the madness very easy. And that's why I started so young. It was just really accessible. Yep. I have another brother who spent some time there and he fell into it and he's still battling addiction to this day. So it can really get to you. It's so good to see when someone's able to recover. Yeah. So I'd also like to talk about your podcast. How'd you get into that? Going rogue. It sounds intriguing. (laughs) So I originally, my first podcast I did was during the pandemic. And this was at a time where I was, I was like struggling with how can I help more people? Not everybody can come to rehab right now. How can I reach more people? And so I started the Elevate Experience named after my rehab, uh, Elevate Addiction Services. So after about two years of that, I started working with a producer who found me and I'd been on a show and he's like, Hey, have you considered making your own podcast. And at the time I was like, no way, I'm almost at a hundred episodes. Like I, I don't want to stop this momentum now. And then I had the realization to turn it over to some of my guys that work for me and let it sort of keep carrying on. And Mm -hmm. then that's where I came up with going rogue. And for me, it kind of symbolizes how I've always done things, which is not the norm. It's not traditional. It's not what everybody else is doing. I've done everything as bad backwards as you could possibly do. 
And, and it's, and I've had immense success in that. Look, I have purple hair at my age because I'm trying to break that standard or the industry of what a CEO at my age should look like. And I'm, I find that there's so much and so many similarities with a lot of people who are like-minded, especially entrepreneurs, where you have to sort of go off that beaten path in order to find the success. You can't just follow along the herd. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. I Grew up in a messed up house. I had my daughter at 17. Then I graduated high school. Then I get married. Then I get a career. So, you you know, I'm right there with you doing things. Going rogue. I love it. Going rogue. Yeah, we're, we're going rogue. We're not doing the norm. And I love it because I've always been rebellious, obviously. So I started <laughs> using at such a young age. So for me, it also just sort of um, embraces that, that, you know, it's okay to be a bit rebellious if it's in a constructive manner, for sure. And then it shows other people like it's okay to be yourself. You don't have to be in that box. Like it's okay to step outside that box and be comfortable and find like the good stuff that exists out there. Yep, for sure. Is your favorite color purple? I see the hair. Absolutely. Always was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Always was. Even as a kid, like, okay, you know, everybody liked the basic colors and they liked pink and blue. And for me, I always liked purple and it was very difficult to locate. Like it wasn't a Mm -hmm. common color back then. So it's always been my favorite color. Yes. I was just curious. Uh, picking up context. What gave it away? Clues. Was it the purple hair? The, the purple well, this? Exactly. The purple everything around you. You yeah. guys can't see it, but it's right there. Yeah. Also, yeah. you're a Niners fan. I'm just like falling in love with you. Don't worry. I'm married. Not like that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <All> good. <laughs> yes. Huge Niner fans. They're crushing it right now. My God, I love them. Talk about going rogue. They don't care. They do their thing. They are having so much fun. I love it. Me too. Alrighty, so I'll get back on topic and ask you, have you any college experience or any certifications or is your education more hard knocks? 100% hard knocks. I barely graduated high school. I think I graduated with like a 1.6. I didn't even know if I was graduating till I was standing in line and they announced my name. I I was just so absent. Like I dropped out my entire sophomore year, enrolled myself into a continuing education program without my mom even knowing stayed up and of course being a drug addict back then doing meth to make up all my homework all night. So yeah, I barely graduated high school, no college. Like there was no way I was going to do that. I didn't even know what I wanted to do. We didn't have the money for it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, Since then I've gotten my uh, drug and alcohol counselor credentials and also my CrossFit level one credentials. But the rest is like hard knocks and being an entrepreneur for 28 years and learning really everything the hard way, the wrong way, the backwards way, and then just persisting through that and learning from that. So you are certified in rehabilitation as well as CrossFit. Do you do those intermingle at all? Is that why you got them? Yeah, yeah. So um, I have the only CrossFit gym in a drug and alcohol rehab, literally located on my property. It's a licensed Mm -hmm. um, CrossFit gym. So I am the owner of that. And so I thought, well, I better at least be trained, even though I've done CrossFit for eight years, I need to know what 
you know, I just need to know. So I got my certification and I uh, wish I had done it way earlier. It's just such a fan, uh, an amazing amount of information that I wish everybody had who CrossFits. It's just phenomenal. So, um, yeah, so I have that certification as well. So if I need to jump in and I have on occasion because somebody calls out sick, I can jump in and run a class. No problem. So I'm super fascinated with meshing your two passions, the CrossFit, as well as helping people. And do you feel like it helps them more than it was before? And I hate saying more because everyone's different and on different roads, but I would feel like giving them an outlet besides, I, I don't know if you do AA, but a lot of AA, they turn to God, but this gives them another outlet, a physical outlet to help them get through. Have you seen much of a change? Yeah. Well, and that's why we did it. We are not AA or NA. We don't have the yeah. religious aspect, although we are spiritual, but it's left up to whatever practice you choose to have. But I knew we needed to put CrossFit into the program for many reasons. So when people are coming in, they're on either medications or alcohol or drugs. And the one differentiator with us is that we take everybody off all medications before they even leave the detox area, where other programs, will not only keep them on muds, but sometimes they will put them on copious amounts of medication. So like, say you come in because you're an alcoholic, you're going to be put on seven different medications to handle your disease. We don't believe in that at all. We take everybody off all medications, but your chemistry is kind of screwed up because you've been oh, drinking yeah. and using and doing drugs for so long. Like your, your body doesn't quite know how to function without that. And so putting exercise in as a mandatory component of the program quickly gets the body to start producing those hormones on its own, getting you to sleep better, getting you to make healthier choices with food because you're working so hard in the gym. And the other cool thing about CrossFit is when you're deep in addiction, it's a very isolating experience. And CrossFit forces you to be in a group in a camaraderie kind of way. Like the people who are first rarely get cheered for. It's the people that are struggling so hard and bringing up the rear are the ones that are getting cheered for and validated and encouraged. And so it's really cool to sort of put addicts and alcoholics in a situation to be there for other people while they're being there for themselves. So between, you know, between the, the physical feelings and getting those hormones working correctly again, uh, how they look. You know, the other part is like when I got sober, I immediately put on a bunch of weight because I was a meth head. And so I put on all this weight mm -hmm. and then I didn't look good and then I didn't feel good. And I'm smoking all these cigarettes. I'm eating all this crappy food. And then I don't want to be sober because I'm equating, you know, being overweight and unhealthy as being sober. And so my mind wanted to go back to meth because that's a quick way to handle it. This yeah. gets them immediately working on their weight and their health and their fitness so that they're not going through those emotions. They're actually putting on healthy weight and now they're getting fit. And so then they feel good because they look good, which makes them feel more good. And it's a very cool experience to have them actually get healthy, not just get sober. And then that does so much for the positive psychology of when they go out, they're ready to tackle the world. That's so fantastic. I didn't even put that together. When I quit smoking, I gained a ton of weight. And I talked to my husband 
And he's never been a smoker, never understood it. And I was like, every once in a while, like, man, I could lose so much weight if I just smoked a cigarette. And it's been years and it still comes up. And I'm now getting more into fitness and stuff. And I feel that less, but I never put that correlation with the weight gain to being so detrimental to someone trying to rehab. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's a big deterrent because people who've tried rehab before, that's been their experience. So they don't mm-hmm. want to get sober because of uh, now, not only am I like feeling emotions, but now I'm assessing myself in the mirror going, is this a good thing? So yeah, right. I love it. And, and so, you know, imagine you think you're coming to rehab to get off drugs and you leave fit and making healthy choices and you're not a victim of a disease you're ready to go tackle the world and kick ass in life and not you know be white knuckling it like we truly set people up for not just sobriety but also a good lifestyle that they can take with them that's awesome that is so amazing so you've told us some obstacles already but i'd like to know what your biggest obstacle was in your business venture Oh my God, there's been so many. (laughs) I mean, every year it's something else. I'm like, oh, which one was the biggest? I'll just say probably from most recent times, the pandemic, luckily we were an essential business, but navigating, you know, bringing people in, because if you think about it, like the people coming into rehab aren't coming from the most sanitary places, healthy places. They're not healthy. Like, but we continue to bring people in from all over the United States throughout the entire pandemic. My staff continue to come into work every day and help these people. And it, it literally every day was a new decision of, well, oh, what if someone comes in? How do we quarantine? Do we keep them in there? Should they be allowed to work out? Because um, my gym is part of rehab. We were able to keep people right. working out, but was that the right thing to do? Should we keep them in the room. So every day was like a new set of situations that literally nobody had been through. There was no man before that we had no idea. We were winging it to the best of our ability. And I think our ability to pivot so much really enabled us to help as many people as we did, which is, you know, all we all want to do. That's why we all do the jobs that we do is because we love to help people. And I feel really proud that we were able to navigate all that and keep helping people. That is so fantastic. I actually spoke to someone else recently and she unfortunately did not survive through the pandemic. So it's good to hear. Here are those that were able to. It took a level of, and I'm not saying, because I don't want people who failed to think they weren't brave, but it definitely took a level of hope, prayer, and confidence that it was going to be okay. And that's what we did. Well, and unfortunately, she was not deemed a... Essential business. I'm doing air quotes, everyone, because I don't agree with what was essential and what wasn't sometimes. So we'll just... And and that that brings up the other big thing is what was considered essential was liquor stores, weed shops, big supermarkets, Mm -hmm. but not gyms or little mom and pop like health food stores. So, you know, it's no wonder the world is in the situation it's in because what was being deemed as essential and not essential, that is the biggest saving grace of us is that we we were considered essential. Thank God. But it was hypocrisy just seeing that it was very frustrating to see that for sure yeah she owned a gym and I remember driving by the liquor store and not being able to go to the gym and being pissed off about it and that's why I was like I have my my own qualms with that but it is over it's done 
we're moving forward. (laughs) (laughs) We are. We will forever be scarred by it, but we are moving on. (laughs) For sure. So after that note, I'd like to know what's helped you most. For me, it's mindset and persistence. So I, I've, I've belonged to different groups throughout the years and people would be like, oh yeah, that's a tough business, Angie. What's your plan B or what's your backup plan or what's your plan C? And I would always sort of be stopped in my tracks. Like, um, I don't have one. Like I have, I have the team I love where purpose I love, like, why would I ever do anything else? And people are like, well, it's a responsible thing to do. Like if this all goes down, you need to have something else in the, in the wings. And I only recently in the last few years have ran ran to some uh, mentors of mine who are like, you know, the people who have a plan B, they're not all in. And mm-hmm. I feel like my biggest strength is that I've been all in with no plan B. So for me, it's always whatever I got to do to make it go right has gotten us through the craziest stuff, the hardest stuff, the worst stuff, because for me, there was no other way. And so it's that persistence and diligence of being all in and not having backup plans, I think is why 28 years later, we're, I'm still doing this and, uh, you know, have what almost 100 employees and the amount of clients oh, that wow. we're able to help all the time, even in this crazy industry in California, in healthcare, in everything we have to navigate. Yeah, that's amazing. A hundred employees. You have a large facility. Are you thinking of expanding? I would love to expand. I think the bigger thing is first to fill the beds that we have. You know, you mm-hmm. if you think about it, it's not we don't we don't bank on return customers. In fact, for us, we want our customers to go off and live life and live happily ever ever mm-hmm. and never need us again. That's not always reality. And of course, if they have a slip up, we'd want them to come back, but that's not our business model. So you think about it with a 30-day program and a 60-day program, you're constantly needing new clients, new clients, new clients. And it's high-end, considered high-end if you're paying cash or the right insurance or traveling or that sort of stuff. So it's, it's difficult continuing to get the amount of leads to keep the beds full. So once we figured that out, once my beds are full constantly, absolutely. There's so many places I want to expand into outside California and even sectors. Like the one thing we learned is our program, because we've been tracking our outcome studies since the day we've been doing Elevate. One thing that I learned early on, because they asked the clients throughout the program, then after they leave and up to a year is, you know, this like almost psychological, where are you at here? And every single person that comes into rehab is suffering from anxiety, depression, you know, all these negative emotions, obviously, because look at what they've been doing. And by the time they leave, that stuff is non-existent, no more anxiety and depression. Just by doing the program and putting in the work and the accountability and handling the trauma and learning the tools and working out. So it made me realize we could easily expand into the mental health field and help Mm -hmm. people who that is their primary problem is mental health. And we could help in that area by just tweaking our curriculum to be more specific towards that. So I definitely want to branch out into other areas as well. You know, every I'm working with a therapist right now, and I came to her without because I have an eating disorder. And she said, I'm not like every other eating disorder therapist out there. She's she works with trauma patients, which I'm in remission for CPTSD. So I was right there. 
Mm. And when she was telling me about it, she said, we're not going to talk about your eating disorder. If it's bothering you, we will. But we need to find out what it's stemming from. Because if you have an eating disorder, if you have problems with addiction, like some people say I have an addictive personality, and I'm not saying it's not a thing. But her theory is, if you have that craving for addiction or for self-punishment or something like that, it's yes. something way back. It's trauma-induced. So for you guys to be able to see that that helps and potentially be able to help others that are still suffering from the same thing, but they don't get into alcohol or drugs. Yes. it's uh, The only reason I'm not a drug addict is because it didn't happen. I have every reason that I could have. You know, so many of us just luck into not falling down that path. So it pisses me off when people think they're like, oh, I'm so much better when I see them addicted to fast food or, you know, right. they don't move. They watch 17 hours of TV a day. They sleep with it going. I'm like, those are all the same thing. It's just not chemically like someone who battles addiction of a substance and is able to overcome it is so much more powerful. And this you could I'm probably pissing people off, but there's so much more powerful than if you can quit watching a movie or not watching a movie, but your TV addiction or your food right. addiction, because yes, it's it's a real thing and it's hard, but they literally have a substance in their body causing them to do it. It's not just the emotions. A hundred percent. I mean, I can't tell you how many families we've had that are like, can I do your program? <laughs> they hear about what their their loved one gets to experience and confront and work through and get tools for and apply to their life, mindfulness and all these different aspects that we give them. And it could help anybody. This is all yeah. we all need. And like, yeah. it's interesting because there's not any like, some people call them like executive retreats or, or things like that. But there's not a lot of places out there that are strictly handling mental health issues for these things. And I absolutely have know that we can make a big difference with that as well. Yeah. And, you know, I also know, like, I, I also like what you're saying, I feel people who've had to overcome an addiction, they are almost better off than your average person who sort of maybe lived a very normal and expected life, but has these other habits that aren't considered an addiction. So they don't ruin their lives, but they slowly suck the life out of them. Sorry, I, I went on that tangent. It was, it just like, <laughs> like I said, I have family with addiction and the people that look at them like they're these huge pieces of garbage when I know you can be addicted to other things. And I like how you put it. You suck. You don't ruin your life, but you suck the life out of it. Yeah. It's, I mean, why is one better than the other? It's really not. It's really not. No. And that's why I feel so fortunate that I went to rehab at, at 21 or 22 mm -hmm. when I got there because then I had my whole life ahead of me. I confronted this stuff so early on. And and granted, I tried when I was 16. I was not at all ready. But by the time, you know, I was facing 10 years in prison, I thought, well, maybe I'm ready now. Yes. <laughs> at the very least, I don't <laughs> want to go to prison. So I need to figure this out, which yes. uh, luckily I was in the right program that was in the right mindset for me. And I was able to figure that out. And I feel very fortunate that I was able to do that at a young age. So if someone has a passion to get into this type of work, into opening one or even converting, because I know yours is unique, having the fitness involved mm -hmm. in it, what advice would you give them to be able to do that? 
it's not an easy job. Like the, the easy part is handling the people like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all day, every day I will handle my clients coming in, my staff, even sometimes they're crazy families and situations. <laughs> like for me, that's not the hard part. The hard part is all the paperwork and the laws and the legalities and the regulations. It's very heavy regulated. Um, there was a lot of bad players in the field many years ago that mm-hmm. did some really messed up things. And so they really clamp down on things that were good, but now being perceived as bad insurance, trying to get build with insurance, trying to get cash, trying to not medicate everybody, trying not to, you know, there's just, you got to really like have a passion for it to want to open one. I would say, mm-hmm. I would definitely encourage you to find someone and go try it out for a while before you think this is something you want to do. Go work in a rehab for a year of a like-minded and see if it's really something that you love doing because you have to love it to be willing to do all that kind of stuff. It's always the boring shit that gets you. The paperwork and like, you know, for, for example, like our counselors back in the day, they would counsel their clients for eight Mm -hmm. hours a day in groups and, you know, presentation and running the curriculum. Well, now we have to limit that to, they can only actually counsel everybody for like four hours a day because they need four hours to do all the paperwork, to submit to the insurance, to submit to the state, to submit to everything. So you have these people who love working with people, but they can only spend half their time working with people because they have to spend the other half writing up what happened mm-hmm. and that sucks <laughs> you know it you does. should you should be able to do what you love but that's kind of like the case of the therapist and stuff like there's so much paperwork that goes with it that unfortunately it's a necessary evil at this point it is and i i understand the need for it but god damn <laughs> just if you could just lay off a little bit man. just a little bit and then you're having to appease so many entities like for us it's the state of california it's joint commission we have this higher level of credentialing which is really great but they need even more paperwork and then you have what the insurance companies want to see which is different than what they want to see and so you know it's like you, yeah you just get you can just get uh, hung up in the minutia of it all mm-hmm. but if you screw up on any of it, it could shut any of those things down. So you have to make sure that you're very meticulous about it as well. Now, that's really good advice. Everybody always goes out there and they're like, I want to help people. And you would think that'd be enough. You would think the desire and the passion, Mm -hmm. people would be like, yes, absolutely. But there's so much behind the scenes that people just don't understand. So it's really good to hear about that firsthand. Yeah. Absolutely. It's unfortunate it's come to that, but it is what it is. So yeah, try it out before you make that or get a hold of me. I'll help you. I'll put you through an internship. And we used to always say that like, oh, so you think you want to open a rehab? Come, we'll 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 put you in each area and let you get like um, the understanding of what it takes and then make that decision. No, that's great that you offer that. Yeah, we even have um, an internship program where people graduate the program and maybe they're like, hey, I, I want to get back. I got so much out of this. You guys make working here look so fun. Like I want to be part of this. And so we will for 90 days do a training program with them and give them, uh, you know, educational tools that they can take with them, work tools, life tools, but then also put them to sort of work around the facility to start to see, um, is this something that you can actually do and you want to do? And are we a good fit? So we offer that as well. And 90% of my staff all came through the program. So it's a special spot for them and our clients. And it's so funny because 
back in the day, I used to think this was a blemish and people would say, oh, you just have, you know, a bunch of drug addicts running a rehab, like how successful can you be? But the thing about drug addicts is they listen to people who've been there before. They don't like to listen to somebody who got their education with that piece of paper in that college that says, I learned all about you addicts and here's what your problem is. They like someone who's been there, who understands, who understands the psychology behind it and also knows that you can get better from it. And also Mm -hmm. hold them more accountable. Like instead of being like, oh, you poor victim, this was done to you. This is why you're like this. We said, yeah. That bad thing happened to you, but you did all these bad things. Now let's fix it instead of mm-hmm. letting them off the hook. And so it's uh, extremely successful. And the clients love that we've all been there ourselves. No, that's fantastic. And and I get it. When I talk to people who are like, oh, you can just lose weight. I'm like, yeah, go fuck yourself. You don't understand. Right. So, <laughs> right. If it was no, that easy, I would fucking do it. <laughs> right. I would have been thin, you know, 30 years ago when I was five years old. It's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So what's the best advice you've received? You can personally, professionally, whatever. But uh, I'm just going off recent times. Um there's a guy that he's one of my mentors. His name is Andy Frisella and he invented 75 hard and uh, which I, I lost a lot of weight on. I got a lot of success out of, but recently I was at an event and he said, nobody's coming to fucking save you like nobody. So figure it out. And it just kind of struck me maybe as a little girl, we always think our knight in shining armor is coming to save us. Mm -hmm. Like somebody's always going to come save us. And obviously at my age, I I don't believe in knights and shining armors, but it also is kind of reminder to me that nobody's going to come fix any of it. Like I have to fix it. I have to be accountable. I have to make it go right. And I can't rely on, Oh, you know, the IRS is supposed to send us this big thing of money someday. It's like, no, you've got to save yourself. And that is, um, it applies perfectly to the people that I help, to my staff, but I think really anyone. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that is something that you're right. I think a lot of women do depend on that and it can become a crutch if you don't have other strong-minded women kind of like us out there saying, actually, you can do it all yourself. You really can. (laughs) You don't got to wait. Right. And you should, because you could be waiting your whole life and it could never happen. So go get it, girl. <laughs> exactly. Don't let the life get yeah. sucked out. Yeah, exactly. So we've talked a lot about work. And now I want to know, what do you do for fun? And you can't say work. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I, I was just given, I was just told by one of my other mentors, like, I've never seen anybody so all in on their business. You need to take a fucking break, Angie. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, what? <laughs> I do? I love concerts. I go to uh, heavy metal concerts, that sort of stuff a lot. I am going to listen to the advice and take a break. I'm going to go to Hawaii and go snorkeling Yay. in the water. I That is my happy place. Just And, and it's the first time I've ever gone on vacation by myself. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go take a vacation all by myself. I'm going to sit in a, in a house and sort of meditate, turn off all social media and my phone and just sort of set my intentions for next year and sort of be be one with myself. And then my dogs, I love taking my dogs for walks. It helps me get healthy and they love it. And I love being around my animals. So that's another fun thing I love to do. I love my animals too. I have far too many. They uh, have, have you can't heard have of too many. 
Uh, have you heard of the cat distribution system? No. no. Oh my gosh. It's a theory on TikTok right now. And oh it is that you don't get cats, that there's some universal law that distributes the cat with you are necessary. That's why I have five. <laughs> Uh, I only set out to have one. I have five freaking cats. <laughs> oh, I love cats. They are so funny. They are just attitude and they don't care. They don't care. Like I have dogs. I used to be a cat person and now I'm a dog person apparently. And my dogs will do anything for me. They love me so much. They're so loyal. They're so happy. They just want to be with me. Cats, they don't give a shit. They're like, oh, yeah. okay. Can you feed me while you're home? And that's good enough. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We have one dog. He, we got him for my husband. Obviously mm. that means he's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how it goes. Yeah. And then we have our five cats. So I totally get it. Uh, um, you didn't mention reading, but are you a reader? Oh, I am. I am. Uh, like on 75 Hard, we have to read 10 pages every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, it used to be back in the day, I was really big into... Oh, like vampire books. And, you know, I really want to just delve into that supernatural kind of world and out of reality. But yes. in the last, I would say like five, 10 years, it's all gone towards like personal development, uh, mindset, like anything that entrepreneurial, like that is the majority of the books I read at this point. What you read now? Well, we're reading one, The Four Disciplines by Stephen Covey. It's business book. It's okay. I'm excited for, and I want to read the next David Goggins book he just put mm -hmm. out. So I'm excited about uh, starting that one. Um, yeah. And I just also make love- sure, uh -huh. oh, I was going to say, just make sure you don't accidentally order the edited one. Oh, that would be <laughs> terrible. Like, right? You, you got to hear David and David. <laughs> like, right? yeah. I just saw that on Facebook. He's like, oh, I accidentally got the edited one. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be awful. My favorite part about Don't Hurt Me was listening to the Audible and him just like telling the story. It was so good. Oh yeah. yeah, Extreme Ownership with with Jocko. That was one of my favorite books. Shoe Dog. I'm reading that now. Uh, with Phil Knight was amazing as well. Those are like a, in my top for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I like. I, I like getting to hear new books because I feel like my inner circle talks about what we know. So mm. all the knowledge is what I want. Absolutely. And then I also like to delve into like the spiritual ones, like the the law of attraction type books. So there's mm -hmm. a, a whole slew of those that I love to uh, read as well. Um, the Alchemist and different things like that, where mm -hmm. it's sort of more on the spiritual plane. So yeah, those are my three categories for sure. Yep. I'm reading one called The Body Keeps the Score. So oh, I've, I've heard that's really good. Mm. It's shooketh. It's shaking me. It's ridiculous. So wow. it's not, I wouldn't say spiritual. That's more, it's self-development, but on a emotional level instead yeah. of the business level. So whatever that category is, I like that too. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm, I love that. Well, I'm, yeah, I've got to add that one to my list. I know Emily just put out a book about relationships. So yeah, I mean, I have a list like this. I just got to prioritize, <laughs> but oh, yeah, I do love sure. reading. And if I'm not reading, I'm audibling, which some yeah. people say that doesn't count, but I do because I like to listen to the book while I'm walking my dogs. So I like to multitask. It a hundred percent counts. People, <laughs> okay, I, don't, good. I mean, it depends on the mind. Like you sound like me. I have ADHD. I'm not saying you do, but I focus better if I'm doing multiple things. Yes. So if I'm just reading 
and it's silent in the house, I very rarely can comprehend it. I have to have sound or something in the background. Same with work. So if I'm working on something tedious like updating spreadsheets and stuff, I'm listening to books. And that way I can actually comprehend it and get my stuff done. So I think it counts. Good. Yeah, I actually had... um... Do I have his book here? I had Rich Devinney on my show and he wrote the book called The Attributes, which I highly, highly recommend. That was one of a really fantastic book for us. But he talks about how it's impossible to be a multitasker. And I definitely challenged him on that. I'm like, I disagree. And I think I am. And I got him to, and he didn't admit this, but I got him to say it, Angie, you're probably, a, you could be a super tasker, which is not a multitasker, but it's a super tasker. I'll give you that. I'm like, yes. Now I can debate my guys who are always telling me you can't multitask. I got the pro Navy SEAL telling me I, I am a super tasker. It can That's be done. Awesome. That's <laughs> I, awesome. I mean, I tricked him into saying it, but still, no, I didn't trick him, but he, I got him to agree that it is, it is, there is a rare case where it is possible. Yes. Right. I'm all out of questions. That's all I have for you. You got any any last tidbits, any words of advice, questions of, for yourself? Well, I would just say, because we're, I'm not sure when this is going out, but I would just say if uh, you're listening to the podcast, if you're struggling, if you know anybody, anybody else is struggling, reach out, offer help. A lot of people sort of suffer in silence and have things happen where people are like, wow, I just wish I knew you know, be willing to have uncomfortable conversations if it's willing to save an individual with the pandemic and everybody being in their houses. We didn't get eyes on people. We don't know their situation. We don't know the struggles they're going through. And uh, just a phone call or an offer for help or that sort of thing goes a really long time, a really long way. And especially during the holidays, because, you know, they can be a very joyful time, but they can also be a time where it just sort of compounds the loneliness or bad feelings that might come about due to circumstance. So just reach out, reach a friend, call a friend, be there for somebody. I love that. And it's so true. Um, We probably won't be out until January, but I actually think January, February is worse. It can be. I mean, the holidays can be very hard and they've been devastating at times, but the January, February where you have nothing to look forward to and it's just cold and blah. And yeah, so I I mean, all year it's really good advice, but I mean, maybe because I get sad too, the seasonal depression. Yep. that, That could be why. But it could and look at fantastic. it, you know, you're setting like, oh, you know, New Year's resolutions, I'm going to do this. And then life hits you. And then you start off the year with a failure almost straight out of the gate, even though, mm-hmm. you know, you made these resolutions. And you're right, it is cold, it can be depressing, or we spent way too much money that now we're like, how for the holidays to give everybody a good time. And now that money now we're having to pay for it. It's like, oh, right. So I absolutely agree. You're right. January and February can be very challenging for a lot of people. I lied. I do have one more question. And that is when people want to reach out to you and get to know you better, how can they find you and plug, you know, your facility, plug your podcast, all that stuff. So uh, easiest way, Instagram going rogue podcast is how you find me there. I have a YouTube channel. 
Um, but if you want to reach me, I would DM me on that Facebook, obviously, Angie Manson. If you need help uh, immediately, I would suggest going to our website, elevaterehab.org. There's a 24 hour like live bot if you wanted to just chat with somebody, because I also understand for a lot of people, they don't want to pick up a phone because they could be surrounded by people. It's a private thing. There's there's not always great opportunities for a phone conversation. And so you can, you know, and honestly chat with somebody who will get you the help you need in whatever capacity that is. Even if it's not with us, we'll make sure we get you to the person or place that can help you. That's amazing. That's so great. All right, Angie, I have really enjoyed this conversation and really appreciate it. I hope you have a fantastic holiday season yourself. And thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Give all your cats a hug for me. I will. All <laughs> and right, your dog. Yeah. Don't forget the dog. But... <laughs> oh, I won't. He won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Those are all dogs. Right. <laughs> thank you, Angie. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. If you liked this, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure that you can more easily find me in the future. Thank you again. Bye. We got the right stuff. We got-